be in Matthew most of this the fall, but uh, tonight, tonight's a special night. We'll start in the Gospel of Luke. It's basically one of the accounts of many of uh, Jesus' life and ministry. This is in chapter 4, verse 16. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he'd been raised. That's where he grew up. And on the Sabbath day, or on, the, uh, on church day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He did this every week. And he stood up to read. It was his turn to pray or his turn to read up front. So he grabs the scroll, the prophet Isaiah. It was handed to him. Jesus unrolls it. He goes and finds the place where it's written, this thing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, God, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, for this reason, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. To announce that the year of the Lord's favor is here. Then he rolls up the scrolls. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Apparently this wasn't like the other people who stood up to read. Because the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And and he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If he had a microphone, that's where he would have done a mic drop. Nobody says that after they read the Bible. And today, I've fulfilled this passage I'm reading to you. No, you're claiming to be God if you do that. So that's what Jesus says, verse 22. All spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they start wondering, I knew I knew you. You're Joseph's son. Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, Do in your hometown all the stuff you've been doing around other places that you did in Capernaum. In other words, prove yourself. Let's see the magic trick here that you've been doing other places. Jesus says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Let's pray real quick. Father, thanks for my friends being here tonight. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, soften our hearts. We can't do any of those things ourselves. But you are so good and so consistent and so faithful and so eager to come and do these very things. We just read Jesus say that he came to open blind eyes. We're blind. Would you open ours? He came to restore hearing to the deaf. We're deaf. He came to proclaim favor. We're people who don't think you favor us. So would you help us tonight, we pray in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. So let's dip our toe real quick. Here's an observation I have. You and I, all of us, I don't know a lot of you yet, Uh, You and I are people who get hung up on tiny little stuff. We really do. We get hung up on it. We can't let go of it. It just bothers us. Um, For instance, little annoyances grab our emotions. Itty-bitty little things. This week, Avon mentioned the Charlottesville stuff. If if you were moving here, you probably missed the news because it happened while you were driving here. But there was just awful... um, Nazi and white supremacist riots in Charlottesville, Virginia. They're going back to school today or tomorrow, and they're doing all this stuff over there. Um, And I I look back at my week, and I think I got more bothered emotionally by a bad Wi-Fi signal than I did that. And I think you're probably the same way. The things that bothered you and made you angry this week might have been someone cut in front of you in line or someone, um, someone cut in front of you in the car. But minor inconveniences preoccupy us while major, 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 major stuff goes completely unnoticed, right? So you've either already done this with your roommates, 
or you're going to do it before Friday because <laughs> you can't get through a week without this. You've already, either already done it or we're going to do it by, uh, by the time a few days comes around. But we're going to get caught up on the smallest little things at the expense of the really big things. The stuff that doesn't really matter in the long run is going to be the thing that grabs our attention. And the stuff that does matter, we're going to be just completely oblivious to. Here's some examples. Have you already, some of y'all have only been in the dorms like three days or four days, something like that now, or your apartment, or you're living with your parents and you've got all your siblings and everyone in the house. Have you found yourself already um, bothered by the toothpaste left in the sink or the hair in the drain? More bothered by that than this new relationship you have with this person who was a stranger a few days ago. Does it move the dial for you? Drum up your emotions more than the thought of, wow, I get this opportunity to build this relationship with this new person. I get to love them. I get to serve them. Uh, do you get pissed off when your roommate slams the door before you're up or turns the light on or comes in late and turns the light on or slams the door and you're like... More so than any of these bigger thoughts of, how's his week been? Maybe slam the door because he's off in another world of anxiety or whatever else, and he's just, he's falling apart this week, or she is. She's not doing well with all the new people or whatever. We get more bothered by the door slamming and waking us up than the bigger thing of the relationship. Or you walk into a room like this, and you'll walk into a lot of rooms like this this week, right? Tomorrow, new classrooms, new classmates, new things you'll go to. You walk into a room like this and you find yourself fixating on the tiny things like, man, that room is too hot or too cold. Or I didn't like that song or the pace of that song or people, weren't, people were this way and not that way or whatever. And like we fixate on the tiny itty bitty little stuff that might be bothersome legitimately, but we fixate on it. Instead of the big thing like for tonight, I would say, how cool is this? It's the first night of class and there's a hundred of us gathered in here. And either you're here for food, which is awesome, or you're here for community, which is great, or you're here to learn something about God, which is great. That's a, that's a big thing. But we get stuck on the little things, and we forget about it. I'm a cabinet guy, so my wife isn't here, and I can say this. Do any of you have people in your life who leave the cabinets open? You would think it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, like, in our kitchen, we have all these cabinets, and I'm like, it has hinges. You're supposed to close it. Otherwise, they wouldn't put doors on cabinets. So, like, I'll come home, and, like, three cabinets are open. The doors are half open. I'm like, why? <laughs> and to my wife, it's not a big deal at all. But here's me taking ownership in this problem, too. I get home, and I guarantee you, I'm 100% physiologically, emotionally, everything. I am angry about a dad going cabinet door being left ajar to the point that I don't say hi to my wife, I don't pick up my kids I just, I go quiet because I'm angry about a cabinet it's tragic right? I mean you laugh but it's tragic what is it about us All I know you can relate, I see your faces right now what is it about us that makes us latch onto the tiny thing and miss the huge things does a cabinet matter Later on in life, does it have any significance? No. Does the welcome I give to my wife and my kids when I get home matter? You bet your life it does. But which preoccupies me? Why do we get so caught up on these little things and miss the big things? The problem gets a little bit worse 
before it gets better. It's not just that we get caught up on these things. We also settle for really itty-bitty, tiny, insignificant things instead of the big, good stuff. Right? We settle for the... We settle for the... The simplest little things, the tiniest little things, the most insignificant things. For instance, a better video game takes the place of a transcendent God who made us to know him forever. And the dopamine receptors have trained themselves to only be able to react to just this like call of duty, just in your face, coming at us, full engagement. The thought of God bores us to sleep. The thought of getting back home to play that game lights us on fire. How did we, how, if, you, if you buy the Bible that you're made by a God for him, to love him and be loved by him, how did we get to a place where that fires us up and he puts us to sleep? Going to bed to Netflix every night, we settle for that instead of cultivating a network and a community of people who know us and love us and we know them and love them. See how we settle for little stuff? The, and... I'm with you. Like, there's some nights I'm like, I gotta get back home. Stranger Things 2 is coming out this fall. Like, I gotta get back home and see that. So I'm with you in this. I settle for tiny, itty bitty stuff that does not matter, and it makes me miss the big stuff. We settle for fake intimacy. We download intimacy on our apps or on websites uh, or the things that we look at in lieu of, instead of giving ourselves to a true relationship where true intimacy actually happens. So here's the million-dollar question. Why does this happen? Would you agree it's a problem that we get fixated on tiny things and we settle for tiny things, which means we miss the big stuff and we miss out on the big stuff. We don't get to enjoy it. Why does this happen? I think it happens in this passage we're about to look back down and you can see this passage shows us the reason it happens is you and I are prisoners in our own tiny, itty-bitty little kingdoms. I know you don't think about your life like that. I don't think of my life as a kingdom either. But it's a little, it's like a fiefdom. I'm king. This is my turf. And I wake up every day until I go to bed and I build my kingdom. Right? I transact with people. I go about my day on campus, whatever else, and I build this thing, build my life, build my social circle, build whatever, and it's my kingdom. It's my little piece of the, of the world. It's my kingdom. And the problem is we love our little kingdoms because they're the place where we get our way. If you want to know what your kingdom is, it's the place where you get to do things your way. That's your kingdom. We love those little kingdoms. Until a friend, a roommate, a mom, a dad, or God comes and starts to push on those walls and trespass. Then you don't love it so much. I don't either. Then you start feeling invaded. Man, this is my personal space. Back up or you ignore the text or the call or you cut that friend out of your life. We love our little kingdoms until someone else, whether it's the roommate or God or whoever, comes and stomps on it like... Your brother or sister did the Chilean castle when you were a little kid. You like built this thing and you love it and they come around, they have no respect for it. Boom. What? Why'd you kick over my sand castle? Our little kingdoms are the things that we prize. They're the things that we're terrified of losing. Our little kingdoms are the things that we most fiercely protect. 
If, if you want to know what your kingdom is, where do you get most defensive? Where do you, where do your, just, just, you get, boom, it's like from zero to 60 in two seconds. Someone says something, they look at you a certain way, they do something, and it's all on. Your defenses are up. Guns are drawn. That's your kingdom. That's the little place, that's the little place of peace, that's your little life where you get your way that you're building for yourself and for myself. It's the place we protect at all costs. And that means it's the place we most fear losing. It's the place you're, it's not just the place you get most defensive. It's the place you experience the most anxiety. That's your kingdom. Is your kingdom nailing NMSU? All A's, getting through, what are you going to fear most? The curveball test where they don't test you on what the study guide had on it. And it's not just that you're sad, you're angry. Why did you test us on stuff you didn't tell us was going to be there? That professor has pushed your kingdom, and you're scared, and you're protective, and your defenses go up. It's your body, it's your health, it's your image, it's whatever. People push on that, and you either get scared, or you get defensive and angry. These are the places we prize them, we protect them, we're proud about them until we fail. So your personality, your sense of humor is your little kingdom. When you tell the joke that doesn't go over well, you feel this big, right? It's proud when it's going well. I'm the king of the room, and when I fail at it, I want to get out of the room because I'm humiliated. These are our little kingdoms. These are the things that we think will give us the most rest, that we're always building them, and yet they're also the things that stress us out the most, is our little tiny kingdoms where there's this guy named Paul Tripp, he calls him Population one, just you. That's why they're lonely, too. Now, here's the deal. I know you're with me on this, too. You want out. You want to get out of this little tiny kingdom of one, right? You feel a slave to it, don't you? There's a difference in working out and loving it and enjoying it and being enslaved to the gym, right? Where you can't miss it. There's a difference in enjoying food and being a slave to calorie counting or food or rationing or whatever else, right? There's a difference in enjoying your academic time at NMSU and being a slave and a prisoner to the system. There's a difference in enjoying friends or being a slave to other people's opinions of you. Big differences here. And that's the difference in a kingdom of one and the kingdom of God. God made all this stuff for you, for his people, to enjoy. When we take them and use them as kind of building blocks in our own little kingdom, it corrupts them, and it turns on us. And so here's the last part of this where we'll begin to kind of wrap this up. Look back down at the passage. This, if this is true, what I'm saying is true, and you and I both live for a tiny little kingdom that we love but still want to get the heck out of, if that's true, what does Jesus do when he walks into a room and sees a room full of people who do this? What's he do? The passage says what he does. Uh, and I think it also shows us what the crowd does when he walks in here. So the crowd comes in. Jesus is there. It's his turn to preach. He comes up. And notice their reaction. They get stuck in the little stuff, right? There's another account of this in the Gospel of Mark. It's like two eyewitnesses to a car crash. They're both going to have mostly similar stories, but also a little bit different. They're going to notice different details. Mark picks up these other details about what the people said about Jesus. And they're like, wow, I recognize this guy. 
Where do we know him from? Ah, he's a little peasant boy. I knew it. I knew he looked poor. I knew, I knew my gut was right that I should just dismiss him out of hand and not listen to what he says. Yeah, he's the carpenter's kid. That's G. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, this is the little tiny dinky family down the road. That's where I knew him from. They say that to him. Oh, you're just Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. At best, they're astonished, but not astonished in a, in a respectful, deferential way. Astonished in a magic trick kind of way. Like, whoa, this guy's a good speaker. It's still the little stuff, though. Wow, he must have taken a speech comm class. They're still not seeing the real Jesus at this point. They're still not seeing that God is in the room. God is in the room. And they see a little peasant boy who's easily dismissed. That's why Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Y'all know that. Right? You know what it's like to go back to your hometown. You never get to grow up. Oh, I remember you and you're this little. You have 18 years of baggage and history back home that nobody forgets. A prophet, a person, is not without honor except in their hometown. Because you never get to grow up in your hometown. You're always little you. Jesus is the same. The people dismiss him. Why? Same reason I said earlier. They, those people, just like you and me, have their tiny little preoccupations. Their tiny little kingdoms of one. They're so fixated on their own little worlds, their own little slice of the pie, that God himself walks into the room and proclaims good news, and they miss it whoosh, right over their head. If you grew up in the church, you thought sermons went over your head. God showed up to preach that day, and it went over their head too. This is what Jesus does, though, when he sees this. Jesus starts flipping the pages through the big Bible up front, and he chooses what to read. He goes to this thing in Isaiah, and here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, which means I have come. I've been empowered and equipped for this task to proclaim or announce good news to people who never hear good news, the poor. Are you a person who never hears good news? Jesus came to proclaim good news to you. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free. Are you a prisoner in your tiny little kingdom of one where life's all about you? And you're anxious and you're restless and you're defensive and you're insecure? When Jesus sees you, do you think that's the reason he's going to stay away from you? It's not what he does here. That's the reason he said he came for you. We think it's an obstacle to us and God, and in a way it is. But he came for that very reason. Because he knows you're a captive. He knows you're a prisoner. He knows you can't undo this stuff. Just decide to get better. It's a new year. I'm going to be a new person. You can't do that. God can. This is Jesus' debut. He's coming out in a sense in this church and he's saying, this is why I came. To free you from your slavery. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, not his judgment, but his favor. So friends, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God coming and putting a plaque over your neck that says, under new management. The kingdom of God is a new day. It's a turning of a page. It's a new chapter in history. It's a pivot point. That's what the kingdom of God is. We have a whole semester to talk about it. What is the kingdom of God like? This is all I'll say. 
Very different than you think. Very different than you think. In the kingdom of God, power is weakness. In the kingdom of God, poverty is wealth. Weakness drives you to your need of God. Poverty drives you to your need of a provider. Unrighteousness in the kingdom of God is what is prized. That is what God says he will meet and bless. Not righteousness or self-righteousness. The sinner he came from in the kingdom. Not the put-together person who's got it together on your own. It's an upside-down kingdom, you see? Everything is upside-down. Or you could say right-side-up, and we're upside-down. The king has come to set everything right again, to make it good again, and to restore you. That's what this is all about. That's what we get to spend the next semester going through. I'll finish with a story that I hope brings a laugh and a memory. Some of you have heard this before. The kingdom of God is different than you think it's going to be. Dating is different than you think it's going to be. I was 25 when I first started dating. Or I dated my, like, I guess whatever, like, dated my wife. We were long distance when we started. Um, she was in Colorado. I was in Philadelphia. I, I lived at zero sea level. She lived at whatever, where, wherever we were. What was that, like, 8,000 feet or whatever? It's way up there. So uh, I've got this whole script of what it's going to be like when I see her in the airport. I come out of the terminal and she's there and you've seen it in the movie and it's going to be awesome. And I've picked out what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to stride across there and walk. And when I start running a little bit and um, what I didn't account for is the altitude. (laughs) And so... I get off that pressurized cabin, and by the time I'm at the end of the jetway, I can barely breathe. I'm like, oh, I'm shortness of breath, I'm heaving, I'm having to walk a little slower. By the time I take that little train thing to the terminal, I get off the train and I have a double nosebleed from the lack of humility, or humidity. Humility did come. But, uh, so I can bear, I'm heaving, I'm bleeding, there's blood over my hands, it looks like I've just been like, murdered um, <laughs> and to make matters worse uh, we say hi like I've got two pieces of toilet paper shoved up my nose and I'm like I can't walk to you come over here um, we get in the car and drive back the hour and a half to Colorado Springs and I learned um, that there's a thing called altitude flatulence which basically balloons up your insides and makes you fart a lot and so <laughs> My dream of what I thought this first encounter with Anna was going to be like ended in me heaving, bleeding, and farting all the way to Colorado Springs. So she's a very patient, gracious woman because we're married with three kids now. But let me just say this. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what God has come to do on earth, it's totally different than what you think. So much better, but so different. So if you want to come back and find out how different, come back. We'd love to get to know you. RUF is a place where we want to see this kingdom grow. We want this to be a little burst, a taste of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help this to become a place that is a little burst, a taste of the kingdom of God.